clinical disclaimer. This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you. Welcome to the University of Pleasure, where we have sexual conversation to help build a happier nation. I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. And I'm Jeremiah James, and I am just a guy who likes talking about sex. Doc, is the uh, leaves, are they all orange and yellow and everything down where you are? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. This is my favorite time of the year. Yeah, it's gorgeous Did you know out. That? I didn't know that. I didn't no, know that. You do. You. See, we get to know each other a little bit better every yeah. episode. Just to alarming degrees. Oh. So <laughs> <laughs> And we're back, folks. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, and that everybody, no matter what your political version and thought process is, is registered to vote and is participating. What do you think about that, Doc, eh? Yeah. Go out. Vote. Make it happen. Make it happen. There are happen. lots of ways to do it, hopefully in ways that help you feel safe. Absolutely. And we hope you are all healthy and happy and finding a little bit of... Pleasure. Oh, she said it with a smile. Did you hear that? We're working on it. We're working on things. It was so, forced. Yeah. It was forced. It was I've never been forced. good at a call and response. Good point. It's a, there's a general streak of defiance in me that really <laughs> fights fights against it. Well, I, was like kid, I was like the kid in choir that was like, no, I will not do the response part of this song. <laughs> the doc really struggled in show choir, folks. Really struggled. <laughs> So we have a couple of things we're going to do today. One of them is a topic, and one of them is a new segment in the second half that we're really excited about. So tune in for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. New segments. I like new segments, new things. Change it up. <laughs> make it different. So our first topic today, wanting to want it, addressing difficulties with low desire. All yeah. right. So... This is something we've talked briefly, I'm going to say briefly in other episodes. Yeah, more as like a tertiary topic when talking about other things. Yes, a tertiary topic. A, a tertiary or tertiary? I, listen, I don't know. I was just trying to sound smart like you. So the point is that <laughs> this is something we've touched on before and that now we're going to kind of dive a little bit deeper into it. Right, Doug? Yeah. And I think it's an important topic. I think it's a very important topic. It it's, happens in is, all relationships. All relationships, it starts out like it's sunshine and rainbows, and you are having sex all the time, living your life. It is the greatest thing. You're doing it all the time. Won't even leave the house without, you know, a little bit of sexy time. But then, you know, you're together a little bit longer. Desire starts to wane in different ways, maybe not the same as it once was. What does that mean? And the doc is going to explain it to us right now. Go, doc. <laughs> well, I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that it is fair to say that 
low desire and struggles with low desire are a really common issue. And frankly, it's probably one of the more common issues that brings people to my office, right? That brings people to see me sometimes because it's occurring within a couple's context and it's causing maybe some relational struggles sometimes because a individual themselves is just struggling with it. But I'm going to tell you, it has come up more often, uh, in recent months than even is typical because I don't know if you've noticed this here, Jeremiah, but the, the world is a little stressful right now. Yes, we are, in you... fact, living in a very strange, like, apocalyptic outbreak meets, <laughs> uh, you know, 2013 or whatever that movie was. It's like weird. It's yeah, I'm with you is what I'm saying is I'm with you. I don't think I got the names Odyssey? right, but I'm with you. Yeah. Anyway, I think. Yeah. And, and right now, like the world is particularly stressful. And for a lot of people, um, you know, stress can play a major role. And we'll talk about other things as well. But stress can often play a major role in libido, right? And yes. sex drive and yes. sexual desire. And so it's come up even more lately. I mean, a lot of times, you know, some people are able to have sort of these like sex drives that are sort of um, like impenetrable. Right. Like they can have stressors or I feel like you're one of these people, Jeremiah. Yep, I'm not that's why I'm sure that's why I'm not. <laughs> you're you're, I'm you're like, shaking yep, your head. Yes, I'm, 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 that guy. I'm that guy. I feel like, accurate in that assumption. Right. Like they're going to be a like a, a hurricane outside and it's like still real high on the priority list. It really right? is. I mean, like literally, let's just use that right there. Like if there was a hurricane and the wind blew out the windows and then all of a sudden the wind like blew onto my partner and like. She like I could see her body better because her clothes got blown by the wind and like her nipples got hard or something. I'd be like, yeah, I mean, if we just went in the basement, I mean, could do that yeah. right now. Yeah. Like, and, you know, and maybe your partner would be down with that or maybe your partner would be like, hey, how about safety and security? And, you know, not. Yeah. I mean, it's a balance. It's a balance. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so what I'm saying is some people don't operate that way. Right. That's right. For many people, stressful circumstances kind of take sex and. And not purposefully. So it just moves it bottom, like lower on a priority list is something that they maybe are struggling to access or can't access. And there's nothing time. wrong with them. There's not, that's, not a, that's not strange and they are not bad or wrong. It's just everybody is different. Am yeah. I right? Yeah. And we'll talk more about that. But I think, you know, it, it is a tricky issue, right? I I think without realizing it, people often really think about their libido or their sexual drive as something that should really remain stable over time. Right. And and again, it's not necessarily people maybe intellectually tell them that, because if you say to somebody like, oh, you know, your sex drive might change as you age, people are like, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Right. But a lot of times uh, just because someone intellectually knows something doesn't mean that they believe it sort of emotionally. Right. Right. So as a result, people sometimes have this sense that like they're always going to be at the same space that they've been sexually. Right. Like they're always going to be feeling as sexually desirous as they did. You brought up the beginning of a relationship right at the beginning of a relationship or um, my dissertation was like on the impact of uh, a childbirth, like having children right on sexual relationships. Oh, OK. So, I didn't know that was right? what your dissertation was about. Yeah, my dissertation was on the sexual experience of new fathers postpartum. Fathers? Oh, was it even about the ladies? Okay. Well, you do. I mean, a lot of the research that I did was about impact on, you know, whoever the partner might be. But my research was specifically on father experience. And anyway. your conclusion was? 
it's impactful. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I mean, I would say that having a baby might throw a few wrenches in the old yeah, libido it's engine. In a variety in a variety of ways. You know what? We will we can make that a whole topic one day, Ooh, Jeremiah. All right, all right. Clearly I would have a lot to say on it. Because you will have plenty to say. I will have zero to say because as I've always told you, I have no children that I know about. And so, therefore, I cannot comment other than listen and learn, which is what we're here to do, Doc. So continue to educate, please. Right. Well, so, you know, essentially what I was saying is this idea that, like, sometimes people, without realizing it, kind of have a sense, you know, or an expectation that their desire should remain stable over time. So when it starts to drop or when there are interruptions in that, people can feel quite distressed about that. Yes. Right? Yes. And not only do they feel distressed but a partner can start to feel really distressed by that, 100%. right? 100%. Because, you know, I think sometimes it's not an expectation that either person necessarily really has, you know? And, you know, sometimes I've had clients or just people I know personally that, you know, their de desire is low and they don't really care. They're like, I don't really care about that. I'm not particularly distressed by that. But their partner's distressed by it, which then in turns creates maybe some relational struggles, which then causes distress. Does that make sense? 100% makes sense with you. Right. Right. So, you know, I think the most common way that I probably typically see it in, ter in terms of like a clinical context, right, in terms of people coming into my office is usually more when it's been causing distress in somebody's relationship. Right. And that's probably the most common reason that it comes up. The other thing that I do want to say, though, about desire before we start to like really get into things uh, around low desire in particular is for some people, though, it's a lifelong struggle, right? Yes. For some, yes. And when I say struggle, like not everyone experiences in that way, right? Some people have low desire and have always had low desire and have literally no concerns about it. It's not something that bothers them. And so I'm not saying that it should be. But then there are other people that have always had low desire and it is something that bothers that them. That they struggle and with. Right. And so that's really more of the topic that we're focusing on today. So I want to be really clear that, you know, just because someone has low desire doesn't mean that it needs to be fixed or it's something that's necessarily a problem. Right. This is for this is more a dialogue for people that are struggling. Like they feel like it is a struggle. They feel it as a difficulty in on their life. On both fronts, right? Like the partner that, that you yeah, know, wants either it more. Or, they're, and they're, they're, yeah, okay. So I've had many conversations about this with friends over the years where, you know, you're talking like, like I was saying in the beginning, like you start out in the very beginning and it's just so hot and heavy. And then I've had it where female friends were like, and now he just doesn't want to have sex with me anymore. And I, I'm trying and I'm doing this. And then, you know, I've had male friends who were like, yeah, man, it was hot and heavy. And then all of a sudden it just kind of dropped off and she didn't seem to be interested in me. And we started to fight about it. I had one actually a dear friend of mine literally was telling me how, you know, it became just this constant battle between them. And it kind of broke my heart because I had talked a little bit about past things that had happened to me similar in the past, but theirs was, it was a really like knockdown, drag out battle. And it ended uh, their relationship. They were married, but they ended up splitting up because she felt attacked all the time over it. And he literally just was like, but I, I want to be with you all the time, you know, and it was just became this continuous yeah. conflict that grew and grew and grew. And sadly, they never saw anybody to talk about it. And then it just it ended up ending the relationship. So, you know, you, anyway, I just want to throw that out there because that's yeah. I, I, I it's I think this is more common than people oh, it's, realize. It's very common. And, and you know, I think 
it is something that I have worked with clients around and had conversations with people about just across gender, across sexual orientation, right? I do sometimes think there's a little bit of a bias that it's just women that struggle with low no, desire. No, This just that um, that this is just something that happens in heterosexual relationships, and I, I guess I would just say that that's not true, right? None like of that. I, no way. Yeah. And so I'm not um, a doc, but even I can tell you that that's a load of of malarkey. I mean, and don't get me. And and I think one of the things that, um, like I was saying, that people really often are very concerned with, you know, is about this idea of like, what's normal, right? Like, what's a normal level of desire? And people are constantly trying to define that. And I think culturally, we've kind of supported some ideas that like, well, it's normal to have like, whether we not we've ever like totally stated it, people seem to have this sense that like, okay, well, you should want sex, but you shouldn't want too much sex. And you also shouldn't want not a lot, right? Correct, like right. Right, there's this, it's there's this weird, Right down the middle, happy balance. Yeah, like, are you basically, like, are you having sex two to three times a week, winning at life, right? Like, right, right. Says you know, Cosmopolitan. And, yeah, and so, but the reality is, is that, especially, like, if you look at research and things like that, like, people's desire levels are all over the place. And not only are they all over the place in terms of just, like, uh, individual variability, but also within the individual, meaning they're all over the place across a person's lifespan. Right. right. And again, some people might be like you used yourself as an example, Jeremiah, a little bit more stable over time. Where Mine just... is 100% like stable. Like it, it has <laughs> yeah. been, it has been at like high RPMs since like 16. And literally I was that guy. I mean, like, I think I've even talked about it in the past relation, past uh, episodes because I'd say like, you know, Hey, I was in a relationship where a woman didn't want to touch me, and I was—I didn't know what to do. Like I was crawling out of my skin. I wanted, desired her all the time, and it really messed with my self-esteem because I was like, "Well, I must just, you know, I'm—I'm I'm, I'm not attractive to her or whatnot." Because I mean, I was steady as a rock at like, let's keep foot to the floor all yeah. the time. And- you know what, Jeremiah, one of these days we'll do an episode on high desire, right? Just oh. because it's got its own separate set of challenges. Do that for me? Would you do it for yeah, me? Yeah, well, you and other, I know it's often about you, but this would be about you and other people that could okay, maybe yeah, benefit. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I don't think, To thank you, Jeremiah, and to your sort of like point, yes, some people do stay really stable over time, but some people don't. And that's a pretty common experience for people to have a lot of within themselves variability about that. But also just to cross people like I can't answer that question. And a lot and anyone that tells you that they can, I'd be very suspect of when they're like, what's normal? What's a normal level of desire? Like, I know it's obnoxious because I'm always like, well, it depends. But it truly is the answer to that question. <laughs> right, right? Right, like, right. Uh, how old is that person? How stressful have they been? Are they having any medical issues? What other variables are going on in their life? Right. Like there's yeah. just this litany of things that can impact desire. And as a result, you know, it can make it really stressful for people because, you know, it is this incredibly varied experience. But again, people somehow are continuing to get the message that there's this like right sweet spot level. You know, like, yep. like I used to play uh, tennis and, you know, on a tennis racket, they'd always talk about like hitting it on the sweet spot where you like hit it and it makes this beautiful noise. Right. It's sort of like people are always like anticipating that there's some special place to be at in terms of sexual desire levels that are libido. Right. That's normal. And in reality, that doesn't really exist. That okay. sweet spot doesn't really exist. So if it doesn't uh, exist, what do we do about low desire situations? Like how do we... How do we 
how do we ex- explain it to the partner that's feeling like, hey, like, what's up? You seem kind of low on the desire, you know, what's up? Well, I think, you know, I love that you always want to get to how to solve the problem, but it might be helpful to first better understand the problem. Uh, I'm just really excited. I'm excited about our next segment, okay? I know you are. I'm sure this is really important uh, and everybody's going to learn and it's great. But here's the thing. When people rush to solve a problem without really understanding what it is, what they're not realizing is that step one of solving a problem is that understanding, right? So you ask me, what can we do? Well, the first thing is to really have a better understanding of the problem (laughs) and in probably a more nuanced way. Okay. Give us some nuance. Give us some nuance, right? So uh, what is sexual desire, right? Sexual desire is really just sexual motivation. And we all have different and varying degrees of this motivation. Like I said, it's multidynamic and it can be influenced by a number of different variables. So a lot of times somebody might say like, my partner has low desire. Can't can't they just take some hormones? I mean, maybe that could be helpful, but for a lot of people, they're probably in normal levels, right? And there's so much variability in hormonal level. Like, for instance, let's ah, say it's but what a, is normal? Well, that's what I'm saying. There's a wide range. Ah, <laughs> there's a wide range hormonally of what normal might be for like estrogen levels or testosterone levels. Like, I mean, I could go on with that, but it's probably overly, overly complex and better for another episode. There <laughs> so, you go. There you go. Also, it's not my area of expertise, and there are way smarter people on hormones than me. But a lot of times people are thinking it's this like one thing, right? Like it's biological, it's hormones. But the reality is like it's not just hormone levels. It might be a person's general level of health. It might be their stress levels, relational factors, right? What are things like are you having a lot of conflict in your relationship? For some people, have like I don't know, maybe it's like just I don't know, parenting conflict. A lot of people can like have conflict and still feel horny towards their partner. And other people are like, I am mad at you. I have no desire to have sex with you. Right. Right. Different people. Some people are like, I'm mad at you and I want to work that out by having sex with you. Uh, right? That is my go to relationship fix. Boom. <laughs> yeah. And for some people, if you had a partner that that was also their relationship fix, that would work out swimmingly. Right. But. If that's not also their relationship fix, it might create some problems. Okay, um, fine. But the, re- the reality is that we just, I think we do sort of a bad job, frankly, educating people at like really how multidynamic desire is. And so because people don't really have awareness of that, people often feel really bad or really guilty when their desire is low. I mean, I have had lots of people in my office or just personally talk to me about feeling uh, broken, right? Like there's something broken or there's something's really wrong with them. And that's not shocking given that we send this message that like you should want sex. And if you don't want sex, right, then the problem's with you. And like I said, that that's not necessarily true because a lot of times, and I mean, frankly, more often than not, much more often than not, a person's level of desire isn't something that they can help, right? It just is, just is. right? these variables are impacting them in a way that like, it's just like, I'm just not feeling it, right? Like you can't just suddenly make yourself want something. It's like telling somebody essentially, well, you need to be hungry right now. Come on, be hungry. And they're saying, well, I'm not. You can't just be like, what's wrong with you? You should be, right? It's an innate drive. And Uh. so if it's not showing up, there's probably a lot of different reasons that it's not showing up, but it's certainly not something that can be helped. Why do I say that? Well, 
you asked about partners. A lot of times, because we don't do a good education job around this, partners are also under the impression that it's something that can be turned on and on like a light switch, that it's something that can be helped, which means that partners can often start to feel anger, frustration, yes. right? And yes, feel I've like been it, there. I've right? been there. And feel like it's something really purposeful that their partner is doing to them. That's right. Well, because here's the problem, okay? Because when you're on the, you know, you're on the opposite side, and then your desire, the partner that you're with, who seemingly desired you so desperately before, all of a sudden it has shifted or changed in a very noticeable way. But you know, you come to find that they don't really have an explanation for as to why that has changed. So then you think it's just you you have no it's like you don't have any other thought process other than, well, it must be something I've done or maybe yeah, that so they've it's a, just it's a vacuum of information where you start to build your own story. Correct. Right. Like I'm not good enough or I must not be sexy enough or there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with them. Right. Like right. people create all sorts of narratives in that vacuum. But a lot of times when people say, I'm just not interested and I don't know why, they really genuinely mean that they don't know why. How do I know that? Well, I have people privately, confidentially in my office being like, I don't know why. There you <laughs> and go. you're actively trying to figure out and it's hard. But that, I think, really part of, um, you know, you ask, like, what can we do? Well, part yes, of the fix first it now. step. Yeah. Part of the first step of fixing it now is really starting to reframe and rethink the way you think about desire. Right. If you think about it like a dial that can just be turned up or down at will. Well, then, yeah, you're going to be pretty pissed or you're going to be pretty feel pretty broken. Right. Depending on what direction you're coming from, whether it's you as the individual that's struggling with it or a partner that's feeling reactive towards it. But if you start to conceptualize it as like, wow, this is maybe something that I can't help or my partner can't help, it starts to change your capacity to maybe have more um, more fruitful or more effective dialogue about it, right? And it, it probably also is straight up much, like it's much less shaming, right? I don't know, <laughs> I don't know anybody that's like, oh, I feel so guilty and ashamed. How motivating. <laughs> How, well, that really turns me on. <laughs> yeah, like, wow, shame and guilt, sexy emotions. Let right. me just really dig on into this. Right. And whether that's like guilt and shame that's coming from within the person struggling with low desire, or if it's coming from the person like from a partner. Right. And again, I don't want to like villainize partners that are struggling with that, that have a higher level of desire. Cause that is hard. Right. Like, as you brought up Jeremiah, like right. that can feel confusing and it can feel really difficult. And again, I, I don't want to villainize that because those people have been given the same level of education. Like if you don't know why a person's desire is low, you are going to, start to develop stories in your mind. All right. So um, we figured out that it's not a dial that we can turn up and down. It's not, it could, there's so many variables that go into it. Heal us now, doc. <laughs> Heal us now. I don't know that I'm that good, but I can talk about them. Some things I think that you are, doc. I think you're that helpful good. in the process, right? I think one of the big things is really this piece about really working to start to challenge the belief that you're broken, right? Because A, like you said, like that's not a sexy thing. That's not going to be suddenly that's going to make you feel horny, right? But, you know, because feeling like shit generally doesn't help a person feel sexy. But the other pieces around this as an individual, right, are also about learning how and being willing to start actually maybe 
talking with somebody, right? Whether it's a friend or a therapist um, about what you're going through. Why? Well, a lot of people have had periods of low desire, you know, and we've talked about that before. I think it was like a couple, a few episodes, right? Like why you should talk to a friend. Why you should talk to your friends about sex. Talk to your friends about sex. There's a perfect example. Right. And I think if you go out into the world and you start to collect some data from other people, what you'll discover is that like you're not as broken as you feel. Right. And again, why do I keep coming back to that idea of like brokenness or shame or guilt? Well, those are really paralyzing emotions for people. Right. They make it really hard to approach anything. Um, If you're more like what to do and we'll go into more about like details about what you can also try. But like also if you're a partner thinking about how you're addressing these issues. I mean, if you're talking to somebody in a way that suggests that they are failing or purposefully keeping something from you, you are likely not helping your causes. Right. Wholeheartedly. (laughs) Like, I don't know if that was something that ever happened for you, Jeremiah, in the situation you described. What, that I was shaming someone? Not shaming someone, but like if you you were sort of, huh? What do you think I am, Doc? You think I just go shaming people? Good people struggle with hard things all the time, right? This isn't about me. I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> I know that you must always behave as your most. No, actually, there's a, there's a very true story. I, I this is this is very true. I when I did run into this in the past, um, it I have I have felt very badly when I looked back because um, I tried my hardest at the time to understand what my partner was going through and why things had changed. Okay, and it I I would even like practice how I was going to approach the subject because I never wanted my partner to feel bad, but I also in turn was feeling bad because mm-hmm. something had shifted and I didn't know why. Yeah. I didn't understand what it was, and the conversations were often very difficult, and they would turn into me feeling like I was hurting them, and and you know actually through my education with you and and life. I came to find that, you know, this is a very natural thing and and actually carry a lot of guilt because of that because I never wanted my partner to think anything more than I just thought that they were the most beautiful, sexy person in my life at that time and I just really desired them. And and they did – they put in a ton of effort on their side to try to, you know – make it work for them, if that makes any sense, you know, and I'm, I'm very proud of them for that. But it was it was it was a really hard thing. And 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 if I ever did make them truly feel ashamed or broken or damaged, you know, that breaks my heart because that's never anything that I would want to do. And I don't think most partners who care about their partner would ever want to do that either. So it's this is, you know, as much as I joke, it's important that we're having this conversation um, because it is so natural and it is so you're you're not broken or strange or crazy with low desire. It's it's a natural thing, and that's why we're here at the University of Pleasure yeah. to educate. Yes. Well, was that too much? Did I talk too much? No, I sh- was it too? Was it an overshare? Sure. Was it an overshare? No, I don't. I mean, you have overshared things. This is not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did the episode on anal last time, with yeah. Jeremiah, and I oh, feel yeah. like you really went for it. So if this is an overshare, I'm not really sure what your barometer is. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, but no, that's helpful, right? Because it is important to say that like, it is hard for both ends, right? For the person that's maybe experiencing higher desire, like, you know, it is important, like your experience of that's important too. And it's sort of about like, it's possible to talk about maybe your hurt or the difficulty that you're experiencing, but also doing that in a compassionate, non-blaming way. 
that doesn't mean that you always get to, you can do your best and sometimes your partner's still going to feel guilty, right? Like you can't always prevent that, but you can still do your best. And the reason, you know, that I say that is that, you know, I'll see couples that have been struggling with this issue for years, right? Right, right, Um, right. You know, we've talked, I've mentioned, I mean, really the issue would be called desire discrepancy, right? Where one partner wants sex more than the other. They have differing sort of desire levels and it's become a chronic problem. Um, Anyway, you know, when I talk to people about this, like there is a lot of hurt on both sides. And so that hurts legitimate. But one of the things that I'm really working with people often to do is to understand that like, this isn't anyone's fault, right? If you, if two people were single, no problem, right? Like it's only within the dynamic that that incompatibility exists, meaning it's not anyone's fault. So how can we get you on the same side of the problem? Like looking at it together, being like, ah, well, this is a bummer. So you're getting on the same side. This is a bummer. And you're trying, you're sharing that experience together, but you're on the same side of it, right? You can be sad, you can be disappointed, but you're in it together versus on opposing sides of it. I hope that makes sense. Totally if I had does. a whiteboard, I'd draw a visual. Um, Thanks, Doc. <laughs> but right, you're welcome. But the other thing for a partner, and this is what I really want to emphasize because it actually happens a lot. Trying to work on understanding what's going on. If you're a partner and your partner is the one with lower desire, Try to understand what's going on rather than jump jumping into offering solutions right away. So like buying them sex toys, buying yeah. them self-help books, yeah. buying them lingerie, you know, because all that's really, and I understand that often that comes from a good place, but often the way that that comes across is you are broken. Here's a thing to fix you. Yep. Yep. And I can tell you, I'm guilty of that right there. And if we haven't noticed that I like to get right to the solution, you know, I thought that those were good solutions. And and I think that it probably now that you're telling me this, by the way, I'm going to feel terrible about myself after this episode. Like, <laughs> I just, 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 like I'm going to go like lay and we cry all, in a room. We can't you can't know what you've never learned. Right. So this is what we're doing here. We're learning. So we all can keep doing better. All right. Continue. But that is a common thing that happens. And, and I'm going to say, and it's an impulse that people have like, oh, my partner's struggling with this. Let me go out and buy them a new vibrator. Uh, do they ask you for a new bri- vibrator? If they didn't, you know, like I would try to have a dialogue about that rather than just trying to solve that problem right away. Right. And, ta- and taking that time to understand. Um, you know, I, I do think that um, there are also some really specific things that maybe some people that are struggling with the low des- on if they're on the lower desire end that they can try. So again, some people don't have distress about having low desire and they have no impulse to change it. And this is not for those people. All right. This is for the people that are like, I want to want it. Right. So they're, I'm trying to figure out the simplest way to do this. Cause you know, I'm bad with being simple. I know, uh, but simplicity really is key. But a lot of people are often really affixed to this idea of like that they need to have spontaneous drive in order to be sexual. What I mean by that is spontaneous to distract, spontaneous drive is that like I feel horny. I want to have sex. Right. Like it's a it's a visceral experience. Right. Right. But people usually have both spontaneous drive and reactive drive. Right. So reactive drive is the sexual drive you feel when you encounter a sexual stimulus. I don't know. You're watching a sexy movie or I don't know, the wind blows in the right way or you're on a roller coaster. Right. And you have some type of sexual stimulus and all of a sudden you're like, "Ooh, I could get into this. Right. Or you start maybe you start being sexual with a partner and you're like, I don't know, maybe but then you get into it and it ends up being fun. Your your drive, right? Your desire sort of catches up with the experience that you're in. Okay. 
right? But the con, and so you can, if somebody's not having a lot of spontaneous drive, right, which is like sexual motivation, you can use more of your reactive drive, but that comes with an incredibly big caveat, okay? So it is, it would be gross misinformation to tell someone like, hey, just start to have sex with someone and eventually you'll enjoy it. That, that could, yeah. right. But I just want you to know, like, that's an old school sex therapy technique. Well, like people, people used to do that. That's... So, I, so I say that because that's a real thing. And I've had clients that have had therapists or doctors tell them to do that oh, yeah, in the yeah, last yeah. couple years. Yikes. So no. That's the real thing. This is thing. modern times. No. Yeah. So that doesn't really work that well. Why? Because context matters, right? So rather than like, so what's the middle ground of that? Like one is figuring out when you feel willing and open to sex versus like super hot for it or horny. So what is willingness or openness? Willingness or openness is like, you know, anything that's sort of like, eh, I guess I could show up for that and it might be okay. Right. You don't have to be like, yes, sex. I want it. Right. Like you don't have to like be this like high level enthusiasm. Why? Well, because sometimes just being willing and open means that you might get there. And if you're showing up in that place of willingness and openness, you might have a really great sexual experience that you kind of, you know, your desire catches up to. Or maybe you show up and you're feeling willing and open and you have a good time, maybe not for a specifically sexual reason, but because it was a gift you wanted to give your partner, right? Or you were, you felt really close and connected to your partner, or you know that your partner after you have sex is actually really close and connected with you because that's important for them and like their love language or whatever. But Willingness and openness is different than obligation, right? Obligation is like, I guess, so I, right. so I suppose that's never good sex. It's never fun sex, right? But if you're struggling with low desire and you're not feeling horny, one thing you can start to work on is, and you want to want it, right? Like you want to be being sexual. You just don't feel that motivation is you can start to play around with willing and openness, willingness and openness. Like, so for instance, let's say your partner tries to initiate sex with you rather than saying no right away, saying, give me a minute. Right. And actually pausing and saying, I don't know, is that something I could be open to? Is this something I could feel okay to great about? Because it could be anywhere along that spectrum. But if you're saying, no, I think I feel pretty obligated and bad about it, well, then don't do it. Then don't. <laughs> right? Yes, that's a no-go. Right. But sometimes you can have a lot more quality sexual experiences if you're showing up when you're feeling just even okay or open to it. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Right. If people wait to feel super horny to have sex, sometimes you might not feel super horny for a really long time. That's right. right. Might be big gaps again, between the loving. And again, I want to be super clear. This is for the people that want to be being sexual and they're just struggling with finding a motivation to do so. All right. There are other people that are like, I don't want to have sex. Okay, well then don't. <laughs> this might not be a good model for you. Um, I mean, really, ultimately, to kind of wrap all of this up, because I know Jeremiah is so excited to get to this new segment. I'm I can excited. just we have a new segment. I know. I it's can be see your I can see your attention fading. Um, no, I'm 100% with you. That's really great. Just wrapping this up, the last thing I would say is that it's also important to think about that low desire is often a temporary period of time, right? It's not necessarily something that'll last forever. 
how you react to it and how you move through it will often help reduce the level of impact on your life. If you catastrophize it and treat it like it's the end of the world, or if your partner does that, well, then it's very likely going to sustain how long you stay in that period. For some people, you know, uh, they might be in low desire periods for a long period of time. But for other people, you know, it is maybe something temporary. And so it's just something worth thinking about. And again, talk to other people. You are likely not alone if this is something you've been struggling with. It's not with. rare. You're not alone. So it's, also, you know, it's just also, not. Also, I'm going to be honest. Global pandemic, not a sexy scene. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> it's True. not like a highly erotic thing. So this is a really common thing that I think people often struggle with, and particularly now during a period of really high stress. That's it. I'm done. Thank you, Doc. We can move on. Thank you for the healing vibes. And when we come back, it's time for a new segment here at the University of Pleasure, which is going to be a regular thing. And I'm excited about it when we come back. And we're back, folks. And it is time for the University of Pleasure's newest segment, which is going to be a regular segment if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> and this segment is good advice, bad advice, or everyone's got an opinion. In this segment, I, the Jeremiah James, has gone out to find amazing self-help books, which I know Doc <laughs> loves. Because I told her, one of these days, I am going to become a self-help guru, uh, taking all of her knowledge and going out on my own. I mean, it's not that I, like, holistically hate self-help books. It's just that, like, I have a hard time because often there's some great self-helpy style books. But a lot of them are just like one person's opinion about like the way that they've discovered to live life. And now they're assuming that it works for everybody else. Well, Doc. They're like way overreaching. So I have a hard time with them. Today you are in luck. <laughs> because I have a self-help book that I think is going to change lives. I mean, I feel viscerally nervous. Like I feel viscerally anxious about what you this have found for me here. This was a huge New York Times bestseller. In 1989. Oh, my God. The book's title is called Light His Fire. Oh, no. How to Keep Your Man Passionately and Hopelessly in Love with You by Ellen Creedman. In the back of the book. <laughs> so good. Become the only woman he'll ever want. Or need. I'm I mean, already that, out. I'm out. I'm that out already. right there tells you everything <laughs> you need to know about this book, Doc. And I'm just going to read a few passages and want to see if the Doc feels that these are good tips of the trade to help all of our listeners out there. Great. I'm ready. I mean, I'm feeling slightly anxious, but I'm ready. The first one. Say it with balloons. <laughs> Another great way to send a powerful message is with balloons. 
This is what Denise did. One evening, while her boyfriend slept, she had an extra set of keys to his car made. Oh my the God. next day, while he was at work, Denise drove into his company's huge parking lot and parked near his car. Then, working right out of her car, she proceeded to use an air tank. You don't use helium balloons because they will fly away. To blow up dozens of balloons, each of which she had already stuffed with different messages telling her boyfriend why he was so special. As she worked, a crowd gathered, intrigued sure it did. with sure what it did. she was doing. A few of the onlookers even began helping her, one man trying to not in the balloons while another woman helped Denise stuff the balloons into the car. By the time she was done, the entire car was filled with balloons. As a last touch, Denise taped a very large needle to a note and placed it on the windshield. The note said, The only way you're going to be able to get into this car is to pop each balloon and read the message inside that tells you why you are the most incredible man I have ever known. One of the onlookers commented, I hope your boyfriend knows he's the luckiest man alive. Having a girlfriend like you, <laughs> Envy was evident on everyone's face. Her boyfriend was so touched by Denise's grand gesture that that evening he came calling with flowers and candy and tears in his eyes. Denise created an event that will live forever in her boyfriend's memory. Do you think he'll ever let this woman go? Would he want to spend the rest of his life without his woman who went to such great lengths to let him know he was loved? Denise, too, has joined the ranks of women who have created a memory forever. <laughs> I got to say. Well. <laughs> I got to say, if there was something that was so beautiful. I mean, the only thing I'm missing is like, what colors were the balloons? And, you know, were they multicolored balloons? But don't you think I mean, that... I need to ask, like, was Ellen Creedman hiding in the bushes while this girl was doing this? Like, how, <laughs> how does she know the level of... Like, was she in his apartment? He had tears in his eyes. Tears. Like, he just, had tears. She was just hanging out under the kitchen table, I guess. First of all, I would have had tears in my eyes if all those balloons were in there because when I'm done with work, I'm ready to go, okay? That's what I, thought. That's what I was thinking. I would be like, I need to go home. I need to go home. because Okay, let's just put it into perspective, okay? I drive a truck. If you And it's a crew cab. That means there has to be like 80 balloons inside my cab. And if you're telling me, first of all, I don't like homework, okay? So if you're going to tell me <laughs> that I got to pop every damn balloon and read every damn note, and then, I mean, did Denise quiz him to make sure he read all of them? What do you think? I mean, do you think? I, mean, I don't know. I mean, look, look, I don't want to hate on Denise. It seems like it was a sweet intention. And maybe her boyfriend had told her that he just, loves popping balloons right like so i don't know the whole context of this balloon 
debacle. Right. But I mean, perhaps it was something that he had said he just would love. But I'm similar to you, like, you know, sometimes you got places to be after work, and if <laughs> I had to do stuff. come out and unexpectedly pop like ninety balloons, also while my coworkers are watching, I, yeah. I will lie. I could see that making some people very, very anxious. It sounds like there was a, a sweet intentionality around it, but that is one of those ones where you'd really want to know your partner and know that they would be into such, such a grand gesture and also such a public way okay so are you going to say this is not something you would necessarily recommend that this isn't self-help well i don't know you know me jeremy i'm not going to give you a straight answer i would say this is a this is a yeah maybe really ask some thoughtful questions to your partner about you know their level of comfort with you know a a spectator event at their place of work. All right, so I'm going to say then that the doc gives this one two thumbs down. This is not something that the doc would necessarily recommend. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. I would would, would recommend caution on something like that. Maybe if they were both clowns who worked in the circus, this would be something. secretly having the key made of your partner, I want to know... How long have they been together? Is there, Are they dating for Doc, two weeks? Doc, you're going too deep into this. Doc gives saying. this, listen, too deep. Doc gives I'm us two thumbs saying. down. Jeremiah says it for the doc. Two I thumbs down. I don't, I don't really like the thumbs down or thumbs up. So. I know you don't. That's why Those I said are your it for, <laughs> for you. Moving, moving on, Jeremiah. <laughs> the second part of this, which I think is really going to be very helpful to many men out there. Okay? And I just want to get your opinion on this, okay? Teach me tonight. Some of you are probably wondering why the responsibility for romance falls on your shoulders. Why is it always the woman, you ask? The answer is because most men have never learned how to be romantic. They need to be taught. Men are accustomed to operating out of the logical side of the brain. It's the women who buy the romantic novels and read love stories. When I read a romantic novel, all my husband is interested in are the good parts. And when it comes to movies, he'd much rather see an action-packed film like Rambo than something mushy like Love Story. And I just have to say, you should all see the doc's face right now because this is... Oh, my God. She's leaning with both of her face, with her hand in both of her hands on either side of her face, almost like she's trying to, like, not look at a horror movie. I'm just <laughs> listening, Jeremiah. I'm just listening. I'm not I'll done, save my... Doc. I am not done. I'm going to save my There is more this. important information in here that you might need, and this is the University of Pleasure. You might learn something, okay, Doc? Thank, thank even you. <laughs> Women's magazines have endless advice on how to be romantic, sexy, and appealing. But tell me, when was the last time you saw an article in a men's magazine about how to be more romantic of a lover? Chances are, your man didn't learn anything about romance from his parents either. So if he doesn't read about it, see it on the screen, or grow up in an atmosphere where romance is prevalent... How is he going to learn unless you teach him? 
When asked, men who are romantic attribute their knowledge to a woman who has played a part in their lives. Some were lucky enough to learn about romance from mothers who actually taught them what women respond to and how they like to be treated. Others have learned from their sisters. Still, other men have had women leave them because they weren't romantic enough. So the second time round, they are trying to do things differently. What do you think there, Doc? I think uh, this is great knowledge. I know that my mother, she had the sex talk with me. And I'll never forget, and I may have said this in another podcast, but she literally was like, and don't put it in a woman. Even if you put it in for a second, you can get her pregnant. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And I was like, okay, because I was like 11. And then we were pulling to the left, we're turning, making a left turn onto a main road near our house. And there were guys out there working construction. And one guy didn't have a shirt on. It was the summertime and he was all sweaty. And literally my mom segued into, but I wouldn't mind taking him home for a night. And I looked at her <laughs> like she was from fucking Mars. And I did not understand any of it. So that's how I treat the ladies. Thanks, mom. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Education. There's so much packed into that that we don't have time for, Jeremiah. Right, um. but uh, then, you know, my sisters, you know, I didn't get yeah. a lot of romance training, but maybe this is something, maybe there's something to this. What do you uh, think, Doc? Uh, I, I'm having a hard time with this. Uh, there is a, a lot of uh, gender stereotypes there that, uh, uh, you know, I'd probably verge on offensive. I mean, really? What are you talking about? I would much rather go to see a Rambo movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Which just tells no. you when this movie, when this book came out. I mean, Rambo. Yeah. Although there was a I mean, Rambo recently, and in my opinion, should have been nominated for an Oscar. Stallone, yeah. I'm your biggest fan. Continue. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit reductionistic, right? Like, suggesting really that all women are the same and all men are the same and all women enjoy romance and men don't enjoy it at all. And frankly, really makes men sound not intelligent yeah. and like people that cannot think for themselves. I mean, I will way. say that I did not feel that she was giving a lot of credit to our brains in that. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Uh, not I don't necessarily feel great about this this it it was a little too gender stereotypical in a way that I that I felt was a little too narrow for me. Okay. I do agree with I do agree with the idea if I could boil it down that you know if you have certain needs you know she's talking about teaching people I would say like hey sometimes you have to be uh like assertive with people about how you like to be loved how you like to be cared for sure sure I can get on board with that message but the but the rest of it. Uh, one word would be just offensive. I find it somewhat offensive. Another one where the doc gives two thumbs down, says Stop Jeremiah James. Yeah. This is not my measuring system. I want to be very clear. I know. It's my measuring system if I was you. And so I oh. can say it because it's not you. It's me saying it for you. Do you follow what I'm saying? There's logic there. I promise. Just think mm. back to this it last chapter like that I read. you <laughs> not respecting my no. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay, because I've got a couple of little snippets, because there's just some little snippets in here, and we'll wrap this all up for the folks, and I think this one is going to knock it out of the park for you. It is extremely empowering for women, 
you being a female, you know, you being somebody who, you know, works in the sexual health world, I personally think this one might be the most empowering little tidbit nugget from this book. You are making me horrifically nervous. All right, come on. This is number 14. There are many of these, but this was number 14, and this one particularly stuck out to 14 me. 14 on what? What is 14 what? Of like a list of, of a list, tips? A list of helpful tips to keep things saucy, to make sure that <laughs> like this book says on the back, become the only woman he'll ever need. Uh, okay. Just or let's want, do it. Or want or need. All right. Number 14. Kidnap him. <laughs> First, make the necessary arrangements at his place of employment. Then, walk in unannounced and hold a toy gun on him <laughs> while you place toy handcuffs on his wrists. Take him away for an afternoon delight. Now, if that's not empowerment, I don't know. First of all, that's just baller. I mean, calling your boss, Hi. your husband's boss, and being like, look, okay, I'm going to come in today, probably have a sexy outfit on under this coat, and I'm going to take him out for sex, but I'm going to make it like I'm holding, I'm going to, I'm going to kidnap him, I'm going to get some guns. And what makes it so great in my mind is like, if they went to like CVS and they got one of those little like toy guns, like one of the really like silly, like like a little blue and yellow toy gun, and then like the really cheap handcuffs, and then you just come in and you, I mean, because you're announcing to the whole office, oh, by the way, she might ran, you don't think that that email is going to go around that everyone's like, hey, by the way, Joe's wife is going to come in and kidnap him with a toy gun. This is, I think that this is extremely empowering. I think it's great you, to let everybody know. Did you want to know what I think? Hang is on a second. I need to finish what I was saying because I'm just so... I think this is great. What do you think, Doc? Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this, but I, two thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> I know I made a big deal out of it, but uh, two thumbs down. Uh, multiple levels. Uh, <laughs> made me cough. Hey, uh, here you go. Uh, Ellen Creedman, stop suggesting people go to people's places of work. Um, <laughs> respect workplace. Maybe some respect for workplace boundaries. Um, <laughs> just, just one, two. This is a show of work. No, no toy guns ever in a place of work. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that that, I'm going to be honest, I don't even think that that was cool in 89. Oh, I, I don't, don't know. Even, the 80s were crazy. I mean, I don't know. Like, no, just no. Uh, I, yeah. I, you know, it takes a lot for me to get to a, a place of that extremity, but I'm going to say no. I think the only thing is like, I could pull out of it and say yes to maybe some spontaneous or surprising sexual events that you plan for a partner. That could be fun, but maybe not notifying his entire birthday. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, to be fair, this was before emails or like internal corporate chat rooms. So, oh, you know, so really, made they the would have had to send out a memo. Person to person. Yeah. yeah. Person to person. Yeah. No to showing up with a fake weapon at somebody's work. I'm going to go ahead and no on that one. Okay, right. so the doc gives it two thumbs down. And this is our last one. Are you ready? Yeah. The anticipation is killing you, isn't it? I mean, I'm just, I don't even know what's happening anymore, but yes. 
Have an aromatic evening. Discover the romance of scent. Collect a supply of perfume samples. Dab a bit of each perfume in different spots of your body, and then have your mate match them up with the samples. Oh my God. That sounds like a migraine and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's very projection, but that would give me the word. I can't even walk through like Nordstrom's without a horrible <laughs> headache. And I love that it's like collect many samples. So how many play, like how many samples are we talking? Because, you know, if you wear like, if you, if you wear like a, a, a very strong deodorant and then a, a really strong cologne, they kind of intermix and make like one big smell. And if you got like 20 of those things just, you know, like all over you, I don't know, I first hate. of all, that the aroma would be particularly nice. But my whole thing is, is sniffing sexy? Is it sexy? Like if you had stuff all I mean, over that, you? I like, mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I don't have a, any issue. This is probably more of a projection. Like that would give me the world's worst headache. Yes. And I would probably say if you're going to do this, be sure that your partner likes perfume and isn't scent sensitive. Yes. Um, or has severe allergies really, to oils. I don't really I don't think that there would be, yeah, like I think olfactory senses can certainly like, you know, you can create some sexy vibes with aromas and things like that. This one to me, though, is another sort of know your partner kind of thing, yes. you know, like similar to the balloons. Like, yeah, make sure your partner's going to be into that. Also, that you yourself won't pass out i mean that's that's, <laughs> that's the issue that i have it's like first of all Maybe all i can think of is like my partner thinking. laying on the bed and me going like <laughs> like a, like, a, like a truffle pig like i don't even know like it just seems strange no, now listen I don't know. That, some people me, that might dig that i feel like that huh well, you think that could be sexy i think that could, some people might like that process of like i mean that might be really intimate to somebody right like that one doesn't the smelling of someone is not something that makes me go, huh? It's the it's the multiple scents. That's what I'm saying. You and then the that. guessing game. And what happens if you're wrong? Like you fucked it up again, Jeremiah. You fucking didn't. That was J Lo Glow, and you thought it was Coco Chanel. You idiot. Like that doesn't seem like a say, lot of fun. I was gonna say White Diamonds by Elizabeth Taylor. Ooh. <laughs> These have, these have always brought me luck. These have always brought me luck. <laughs> I would say if you're going to do this game, exclusively do it with White Diamonds by Elizabeth There it Taylor. is. There it is. So many variable scents on just White Diamonds. Generationally, I think Ellen Creedman would approve of a White Diamonds. Yeah, I bet she would. She'd be like, oh, yes, that's Elizabeth Taylor stuff. Yes. <laughs> I think we need to be done for people. Okay, well, like, thank at you. This point, we're, just, we're just entertaining ourselves at this point in time. So here. this is a new one we're going to be doing. Often, I think, because it's just so good to watch the doc's reaction when I read these self-help <laughs> books. I mean, you specifically uh, one from the eighties. You really, you really came upon a treasure there. So, thank you, I, doc. I guess. Well, well done. Thank you so much, and thank you to all of our listeners for taking the time and coming back to the University of Pleasure and learning a little bit. So, please, if you're enjoying yourself, like, share, and subscribe on all of our social media, and you know, share the show with your friends. And we hope that you are all safe and healthy as we always say and thank you to all those out there that are keeping us safe and healthy 
And even in the difficult times, we hope you find a little bit of... I'm not doing it. Okay, she's not doing it. I'll do it for her. <laughs> she gets so... This is, again, this is why you were bad in choir, okay? Yeah. This is... I don't love a call and response, Jeremiah. <sighs> it was all going so well. A little bit <laughs> of pleasure. And please, things are hard right now. And just be kind to each other and take care of each other. And we'll talk to you again next week. I'll see you then, Doc. See you then. Bye. This episode of the University of Pleasure was produced, directed, and edited by me, Jeremiah James. It was written by Dr. Tara Jansen and me, Jeremiah James. The University of Pleasure theme music was written by the incomparable Robert Felstein. And special thanks to our new associate producer, Kyle Binkley. And please remember, we want to be as inclusive as possible of the diverse experiences of others here at the University of Pleasure. So please email us your suggestions for topics that might be suited to you directly, questions, feedback, or just really great sex stories at contact at universityofpleasure.com. <laughs>